somebody real quick, look at them in the eyeballs and say, I'm not perfect. Come on, tell them, say, I'm not perfect. Come on now, look at that one you really didn't want to talk to and you didn't want to look at and say, you know, you got some issues too. Come on. Come on, look at somebody and say, we're not perfect, but we serve the one who is. If you believe that, put your 10 string instruments together all over the house today. Amen. So good to see you. Good to have you in the house today. Uh, Guys, pray for me. I am feeling a little sluggish today. Uh, I have had the amazing opportunity to be in South Carolina this past week, and uh, I've been at Holmes Bible College uh, speaking to a lot of the kids there and, uh, you know, trying to encourage them, pump them up to go into ministry and, uh, and to help them all that we can. And so in the process of all of that, I am a little sluggish today. So just pray for me if you would. Can you do that? Come on, say, I love you, Pastor. Yeah, like half of you. It's all good, though. It's all good. I love you guys so much. It's good to be with you. Let me throw out a couple things to you. Um, I mentioned Belize to you, and several of you have been asking about the Belize mission trip. We are going to have a trip that's going to Belize this year. Many of you have been asking about that. You want to be a part of that. And uh, so now's your opportunity because we have a meeting, the first meeting, kind of an interest meeting, if you will. Just because you attend this meeting doesn't mean that you're saying, hey, I want to go. It just may be saying that, hey, I want more information. So if you'd like to attend that, that meeting is coming up on March the 1st at 12.30 p.m., and it's going to be at our Princeton campus. So as soon as we get through with service here, jump in your car, run over there, and you can get all the information that you need for the Belize mission trip. Many of you have been asking about that. Again, I'd love for you to go and be a part of that. Uh, I've got some of my family that's going. They're trying to convince me to go, and so it depends on where I'm at with my speaking schedule. But anyway, uh, so get involved in that. And again, that's March the 1st at 12.30 at the Princeton campus. Also, for many of you, you've been coming around here for a few weeks. You've been checking us out. And man, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for that. It means so much that you would do that. So the end of this month, next Sunday, next Sunday, right after service in our four-year area here, you kind of wait for the crowd to die out, but next Sunday in our four-year area, we're having what we call our guest gathering. So if you're new here and you maybe have some questions, you want to meet, hey, who's on the leadership team, you know, ask some questions, that's your opportunity to do that. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to spend a little time with you next Sunday, right? after service. Now, if you're a visitor and you say, hey, I want to come to that, don't tell all the regular folks, but we've got a place in Smithfield called Bernie's. Come on, holla. Anybody ever tried any Bernie's like heaven on earth? Like the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost all in one. Amen? So we're going to have some Bernie's for our guests, but don't tell the regular folk. Amen? Because they'll eat your Bernie's. But anyway, so next Sunday, that's going to happen for all of you who have been our guests for a while now. We'd love to get you plugged in and get you moving forward into what God has called you to do. Are you guys ready for a word today? Amen. We are in our series called Nope, Not Today, Satan. And again, we started this series out and we were very honest. We said, hey guys, this is not a glorifying the devil sermon series, but this is a sermon series that we look at the enemy of our soul. 
Uh, the Bible says that there is an enemy of our soul, the devil, Satan, and he is roaming around seeking whom he may devour. The Bible also says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we realize that there is an enemy of our soul that wants to destroy us. And so we want to know who that enemy is and what are the weapons that he uses to try to trip us up, to try to cause us to fall. The good news is the enemy only has three weapons. That's it. That's all this guy has. And you find them in 1 John chapter 2, 16 and 17. There's three of them. What are they? Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You can also say it like this, pleasure, positions, or possessions, excuse me, pleasure, possessions, and position. Pleasure, possessions, and position. So these are the three weapons that the enemy uses against us to cause us to fall, to cause us to come out defeated instead of to cause us to come out victorious. And so we want to look at these weapons. And so we started looking at them because Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says we're to take no part in the schemes, take no part with the evil deeds of darkness. But what do we do? We expose them. And so we want to expose the enemy, who he is. We want to expose some of the schemes and the traps that he has. And so we started building a wall last week. And we said, you know what? One of the first weapons that the enemy uses against us is the lust of the flesh or pleasure. And so we talked about last week, how do we avoid Satan's pleasure trap? You know, how do you avoid that? And we said, well, there's really three things. Number one, you have to remember the purpose of your life. There is real purpose attached to your life. There is a divine design just for you. In other words, you're not one in a million. You're one in seven billion. Turn to somebody and say, thank the Lord for that. Amen. There's nobody else like you on the planet. And so because of that, God has uniquely wired you and designed you for a purpose, for a work that only you can do. Do you realize that God has made you and created you to do something that nobody else in the world can do but you? There may be people that can do stuff like you, but nobody can do what you do. You're an original. You're not a copy of anything. And so you have to remember the real purpose of life. The second thing you do to break Satan's pleasure trap is you enjoy balanced living. You enjoy balanced living. You can't run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You've got to stop and smell the roses. You've got to step back. Remember, we said you need to have a daily diversion every single day. You need to rest. You need to relax. Relax your mind. You need to have a weekly withdrawal. So one time a week, you're doing something that, that energizes you. For some, it may be fishing. For some, it may be golf. For some, it may just be painting a picture or something. I don't know. What is it that energizes you? You have to have one day a week that you do that. And then you have annual abandonment. You just get away from everybody and everything. Get away from your cell phone. Get away from emails. Come on, anybody in the house? Amen. You get away from all of that and you enjoy balanced living. The third thing you do is you avoid destructive pleasures. Avoid destructive pleasures. Again, we talked about all this last week. There are some things that God says, hey, you got no business being in. You got no business doing that. And so we talked about that last week. Today, I want to go to the second one of the weapons that the enemy uses and that is the lust of the eyes or possessions. We'll talk a little bit about possessions today. And when you talk about possessions, we're really talking about materialism. That's really what possessions is. It's materialism. Materialism is allowing the allure of things to lead you to live beyond your means. 
Let me say that again. When you allow the allure of things to cause you to live above your means, that's materialism. Now, now don't misunderstand me here. Materialism is not about how much stuff you have. It's about how much of your stuff has you. Man, I'm dropping some bombs on you already. Materialism is not about how much stuff you have. It's about how much of your stuff has you. And so I want to talk to you about that today. But before we do, let's get into our key verse in this series in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Be strong in the Lord and in his great power. Why? So that you can fight against the devil's evil tricks. Satan has tricks. He has schemes. He has weapons. But God has great power. And if you've accepted Christ into your heart, the Bible says greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So God has given you the power and the ability to look at the enemy of your soul and say, nope, not today, Satan. You're not getting the victory in my life. So I want to get into all of that with you today. So Father, we just thank you for these moments that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we have to, to Lord, really just enjoy your presence. And so now, Father, we just pray you will open our hearts and help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. When it comes to materialism, when it comes to possessions, I think we've got to stop every once in a while and ask ourselves, why do I always seem to want more? You have to ask yourself that. What is it about possessions? Why do I always seem to want more? What motivates me to spin myself into debt? Do you realize that right now, 55% of Americans live from paycheck to paycheck? Which basically means if you go without one paycheck, your whole world is in disaster. So what is it that causes me to get to that point in my life? What keeps me from being satisfied with what I have? And the answer to that question, I really believe, is it's, it's really what you could call the myth of more. The myth of more. This is, a, this is a, a trap from the enemy. There's three myths that the enemy comes to you with. And this, again, wrapped up in the myth of war. Number one, having more things will make me more happy. If I can have more things, then I can just be more happy. If I can get this or get that, if I can reach that goal, get that salary, get that house, get that car, get this stuff, then I'll finally be happy. And here's the truth, guys. Uh, things can bring happiness. But you understand that the happiness that it brings is almost like sin. Remember last week, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. So you jump out there and you're getting your kicks and it's fun and it's great. But all of a sudden those kicks start to kick back at you. And all of a sudden that stuff starts to carry you places you don't want to go. And it holds you longer than you want to stay. And you wake up one day and you're like, how in the world did I get here? I don't need to be here. I don't understand this. Why? Because you started enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Well, things is kind of like that. There's happiness in some things for a season. When my boys get home today, they've been with my mom this weekend. We've got them two great big sticks filled with all kinds of sugar and candy and all of that. And they're going to be ecstatic until it's empty. <laughs> Come on, are you with me? Why? Because it brings temporary pleasure. And once they eat all of that sugar, I'm sending them to your house. <laughs> but the point that I want to make to you is that Pleasure, possessions, these things can bring us happiness for a season. 
but it's not going to last. And the reason why it won't last is because people change, things don't. We're always changing the things that we get or not. Let me ask you this way. How many of you still are thrilled and excited over last year's Christmas gift? How many of you even remember what you got last year for Christmas? And chances are, if you do remember it, now you're thinking, I want bigger, better, or a newer model. Why is that? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 and 11 tells us, those who love money will what? Never have enough. Again, Ecclesiastes 5, 10 and 11 should be in your notes. Those who love money never have enough. How meaningless to think that the wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Come on. How many of you know when you broke like no joke, you can't buy a friend? But when you're paying for everything and you're providing everything, you got friends everywhere. Reminds me of a guy I went to high school with. I call him the now later man. Come on, anybody ever remember the now laters? I know I'm dating myself. This guy would come to school with packs of now laters and hand them out like nobody's business. He was just, man, that, he was the most popular kid in school. Everybody wanted to be that guy. Everybody wanted to hang out with him. He had his own posse. He had his bodyguards. He had the women. He had everything until my brother didn't bring nihilators no more. He couldn't find a friend. Nobody liked him. Everybody talked about him. The girls, oh, he's ugly. I don't want to have nothing. To do. I'm like, wait a minute. Just last week, he was the best thing since sliced bread. Now you don't want to have nothing to do with him. Why? Because the more you have, the more people will come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Someone once said, having enough money is nowhere near as much fun as I thought it was going to be when I didn't have any. You ever heard of the imaginary line? The imaginary line goes like this. When I first started working, I made $3.75 an hour, okay? Now, some of you are like, well, I made $0.25 cent an hour. Look, I ain't where you are in Jesus' name, amen? For me, it was $3.75. That's where I lived at. I made $3.75 an hour, and I'm like, Lord, if I can ever get to $5 an hour, buddy, I'd be set. I'd be set. I can pay my car off. I can get my radio system. Come on, holla. See, we had, we had the, little, the little tapes. It, had, it just had come out of the, them old big block things. What do you call them things? Eight tracks. We just, we graduated. Holla in Jesus' name. So I wanted a tape player because CDs hadn't come out yet. So I wanted a tape player. And I'm like, if I can just make $5. Well, guess what? I started making $5. I'm like, Lord, if I can just make $7.50. Just $7.50. Come on. How many of you know there's an imaginary line and you're sitting there and some of you are like, man, I used to dream of making the salary I'm starving on right now. Come on. And so there's that imaginary line. Why? Because we feel like and we bought into this myth, the more things I have, the happier I'll be. It's a myth of the enemy. Here's the second myth we buy into. Having more things will make me more important. It's that myth. If I have all the money, then I must be important. And so we start developing this mindset that says I am what I own. And when you develop that kind of a mindset, valuables determine your values. So since I want to be liked, I want to be respected, I want to be popular, I want to have it all together, then I've got to keep getting more and more and more and more, which means I've got to keep up with the Joneses. And when I finally catch up with the Joneses, I'm ticked off because I found out they refinanced. But this is what happens. 
We constantly go after more. And one of Satan's favorite things to do is to get us to buy things we don't need with money we don't have, trying to impress people we don't even like. But it's amazing what we pay for symbol and status, right? It's amazing what we pay. All because some commercial, some advertisement, some magazine that I saw in Walmart going out told me that if I wear the right clothes, if I buy the right car, if I live in the right house, if I have these tennis shoes, I can be like like LeBron and all these guys. I can play ball like them. I just got to have this stuff. And we're buying into all of these myths because someone said we had to. But here's what Jesus says about all that. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 in the message translation. Repeat those two words to me. What does it say? Protect yourself. Come on, I want to get this in your spirit. Protect yourself. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, protect yourself, yo. Protect yourself. What are we protecting ourselves against? The least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Hear me today. Never confuse your net worth with your self-worth. Facebook testable, tweetable moment right there. Never confuse your net worth with your self-worth. The Bible says you're far above rubies. You can't put a price tag on yourself. God divine, he, he designed you. He equipped you. He made you. You're unique. You're an original. You're one in seven billion. You can't put a price tag on that. So never confuse your net worth with your self-worth. But that's not what culture says. Culture says the one who dies with the most toys wins in life. But the fact of the matter is this. The one who dies with the most toys still dies. So you got to protect yourself. How? By making sure your self-esteem is based in what Jesus says, not on what some magazine or commercial says that you need. It's a myth, and it's something that Satan uses. That myth of more that says more things will make me happy, more things will make me important. Here's the third myth. Having more will make me more secure. More secure. Have you ever heard, if I can ever just achieve financial freedom, if I can just get this paid off, if I can just get that salary, if I can get that, I'd be set, I'd be secure. You ever heard that? Let me tell you something. The opposite is true. The opposite is true. Why? Because the more you have, the more insecure you tend to be. Why is that? Because the more you have, the more you have to lose. The more you have, the more time you've got to put into maintaining it. The more you have, the more money you have to pay to insure it. The more you have, the more you worry about somebody coming and taking what you have. Does that sound like security to you? Absolutely not. And again, there's nothing wrong with having things, nothing wrong with having nice things. But just remember, the less you have, the less you've got to worry about. The fact is, it is D-U-M-B dumb to base your security in what you have. But people do this all the time. Proverbs even talked about it in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11. The rich think of their wealth as a what? A strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. That's what culture's saying. Get this. Do this. You'll be secure. You'll be set. But watch what Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5 says. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Wealth can what? Vanish in the wink of an eye. 
I mean, if you remember seven years ago, people were depressed, people were worn out, people were wanting to take their own lives. Why? Because when the stock market crashed, all of their stocks, all of their bonds, everything started going in the wink of an eye. And because they based their security in that stuff, it caused depression. It can vanish in the wink of an eye. It can seem to grow wings. Come on, you ever looked in your wallet one day and saw $100? And then you look into the next and it's like that thing grew wings. It's gone. You don't even know what happened to it. That's what happens. Real security can only be found in a person, not a thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 and 38. Watch this scripture. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced. You want to know what security looks like? Here it is right here. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is security. That is security. How do you get it? You've got to let go of the myth of more, and you've got to embrace the truth that security only rests in Jesus Christ. I thought about Job. Job was the wealthiest man in his time. He lost it all, but here's what he said. Job chapter 31, verse 24 through 28. Have I put my trust in money or felt secure because of my gold? If so, it would mean I had denied the God of heaven. You know what Job's saying here? He's saying I might as well be an atheist than to think that my happiness, my value, my security is resting in anything other than God. And the truth is your God is whatever you put your trust in. It could be your career. It could be your 401k. It could be your savings account. It could be your house. It could be your car. But hear me, when you put your trust and your security in something, not someone, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Because things won't make you more happy or more important or more secure. Only Jesus gives that. And these myths, what do they do? They build a wall. They build the wall. This wall begins to separate from separate you from God. It separates you from one another, you from your family, you from your friends, you from reality. Because you're building a pleasure wall. You're building a possession wall that says, if I could just have this, I'd be okay. You're building a wall. And how many of you know that a lot of the things we're trying to base our security in 20, 30 years from now, it's going to be gone anyway. So why base your security in something that's not going to last? Base it in Jesus Christ. So the question is, how do we live in a consumer-driven culture? How do we live? How do we break the grip of materialism off of our life? How do we do that? Let me give you four R's today. Four R's to breaking the grip of materialism. Here's the first one. Turn to somebody and say, resist. Resist. You've got to resist comparing. Resist comparing. Galatians chapter 6 verse 4. Each person should judge his own actions and what? Not compare himself with others. One of the reasons why it's crazy to compare is because you're always going to find somebody who has more and it's going to leave you feeling depressed and empty. Or you're always going to find somebody that has less than you and it's going to fill you with pride. And pride goes before destruction, the Bible says. Have you ever been on Facebook and you were like, yes, it's Valentine's Day and I really looked out for my babe. 
And you put it on Facebook, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and there you are with a nice little teddy bear and a little flower, and it's amazing, until you look at your friend's post, and my brother done carried it to the Cayman Islands somewhere. (laughs) Come on, how does that make you feel? And now his wife is sitting there smiling, and your wife's looking at, why can't I have what she had? Amen. And so why? Because you're comparing to one another. So you can't compare because it'll lead to pride or depression. The only way to outsmart the devil in life is to stop comparing with one another. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says this. People who long to be rich fall into temptation. Why? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now notice it didn't say money was evil. It says the love of money is, if you understand there's nothing wrong with money. Money is neutral. It's not good. It's not bad. If you put money into the hands of a righteous person, they're going to do great things with it. They're going to feed the poor. They're going to help people out. They're going to bless people. But if you put money into the hands of an unrighteous person, then they're going to be crazy with it. So money is not good or even it's not good or bad. But if your desire to acquire is out of control, if the almighty dollar is your almighty, then you better watch out. Because you're falling into the trap. Hear me today. Here's a question that you can ask yourself to kind of evaluate where you are with possessions and yourself. And, and, and here's kind of a question you need to ask. Look at everything you own right now. House, car, jewelry, clothes, whatever it is. Look at everything you've got. Bank account, 401k. Ask yourself, if God told me to get rid of it and I couldn't or wouldn't, then who's got who? You are it. See, we humans tend to become possessed by our possessions. You ever seen anyone who changed because they just automatically come into a lot of money? You ever seen the lottery winners? Those lottery winners, the high statistic on that stuff is within two years, they are broke like no joke. They have nothing because they've blown through everything they've got. It happens all the time. You ever seen a relationship end over money? You ever seen lives destroyed over money? Because there's this, there's this thing that says I've got to compare and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And when I compare, I fall into that trap. So you have to resist comparing. Here's the second R that helps you break the grip of materialism. Turn to somebody and say rejoice. Rejoice in what I have. Rejoice in what I have. If your spouse is sitting next to you, say, baby, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for you. Come on, how many singles do we have in the house? Raise your hand high. Let's see your singles. All right, now look around. Look around, look, hoping and scoping. Why y'all dropping your hands? Hoping and scoping. You got to rejoice in what you got. I'm trying to help you in Jesus' name. Little triple S group, single saved and searching, baby. Listen, if you're not grateful for what you've got, you're not going to be grateful for what you get. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 9, enjoy what you have rather desiring what you don't have. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says this, don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed in what you have. Stop chasing an imaginary line. A line that says, if I could just make 25000 a year, I'd be good. If I could make 50000 a year, I'd be good. If I could make 100000 a year, I'd be good. Listen, be content with what God has given you now. 
Be a good steward of what God has given you now. Here's a good rule of thumb that I want you to follow. When it comes to possessions, use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. Some of you guys are writing like super fast right now. (laughs) Say it again, say it again. (laughs) Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. My wife comes to me talking about, I want a new cell phone. Well, the one you got looked like it's working pretty good to me, babe. <laughs> when you wear that one out, we'll talk about getting you something else. Now, ladies, what you got to do when your man comes to you and says, I want a new pair of golf clubs, I want a new rod and reel, I want a new gun, I want a new this, new boat, new car, then you got to say, the one you got looked like it's working pretty good, brother man. When you wear it out, we'll talk about getting you another one. So that's what you have to do. That's a good rule of thumb right there. Now let me give you two keys to having enough. Two key, these are not in your notes. These are free of charge. Two keys to having enough. Are you ready? Desire less. Desire less. For many people today, it's not a problem of earnings. It's a problem of yearnings. You make enough money. It's just your yearnings are outweighing your earnings. Desire less. Here's the second one. Learn to manage what you have. Learn to manage what you have. Put yourself on a budget. Give every dollar a name. Tell your money where to go instead of you looking at it talking about where did it go. Learn to manage what you have. And listen, no one is saying you don't, that you don't need to have stuff. I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Here's the key to all of this. God made possessions to be used, not loved. He made people to be loved, not used. When you mix up the two and have a love for money, you're going to find yourself using people and loving possessions. And you're mixing it up the way God wants it to go. So you got to avoid the trap. How do I do that? Resist comparing. Rejoice in what you have. Turn to somebody and say, return. Number three. Return the tithe to God. Don't check out on me. Stay with me. I'm not going to stay here long. <laughs> Talk about money. Everybody in my life, you done lost me now. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. The purpose of tithing is to what? Is to always teach you to put God first in your life. That's the purpose of it. The antidote to materialism. Are you ready? Here it is. You want to lean in. This is some big, deep stuff. The antidote to materialism is to tithe. That's it. What's a tithe? 10% of your income goes back to God. The Bible says bring it to the storehouse. Now, you understand God doesn't need your money. It's not about that. But God's trying to teach you to break the grip of money off your life. Let me give you some interesting statistics. Over the past 20 years, the average person's income has increased, but the average person's giving has decreased. People that earn less than $25,000 a year give a lot more than people who earn $100,000 a year. But you understand that giving isn't about how much you give. It's about who you are. It's about who you are. And I know that's hard, but here's the reality of it. I cannot afford not to put God first in my life. And I cannot afford not to have God supernaturally bless my finances. Because I got four kids in Jesus' name. 
Malachi 3, 10 and 12 says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you would not have room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Excuse me. And the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Hear me today. True living begins with giving. True living begins with giving. And Satan doesn't want you to know that. Because giving is the antidote to materialism. Materialism is all about more, 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 more. Get, 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 get. The answer to break all of that is to simply give. The point is, every time you tithe, every time you give to missions, every time you give something benevolent or give to help somebody in need, you are gaining victory over materialism in your life, and you are tapping into God's power that can help you to look at the enemy and say, nope, not today, Satan. Why? Because you're showing that your trust is in God. You're believing that God supplies all my needs according to his riches in glory. When I put him first, I break the grip of materialism. Resist comparing. Rejoice in what I have. Return the time to God. Here's the fourth one. Turn to somebody and say, refocus. Refocus on eternal values. Refocus on eternal values. Colossians 3, 2. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Absorb with the things right in front of you. But what do we need to do? Look up. Be alert. Put your head on a swivel. To what's going on around Christ. Because that's where the action is. And see things from his perspective. Once you grasp this, this mentality. That you realize that, that this is not all there is. You get that right? This world is not our home. You, you, you get that? We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. This is not the end. You know, I, I look... I, you were here last week, man. Let me just give a, a, a big praise report. Last week alone at all of our campuses, we baptized 27 people in Jesus' name. 27 people. Amazing what God is doing. Amazing. And I baptized my son last week, my youngest son. He's eight years old. He thinks he's 20. And my mind went back in that moment while I was sitting there. My mind immediately went back to the day where I would hold him right here. And I'd love on him. I'd kiss him. Now if I try to kiss him, he runs. The point is, guys, life is a vapor. The Bible says you're here today and gone tomorrow. You signed up for Jesus, which means I follow him. I focus on what really matters in life. I put my attention, my time, my focus on Him. And that's where the blessing resides. Don't be afraid to focus on what eternally matters. Because the cost of not doing that is high. Matthew chapter 13 verse 22 tells us, A seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. And the what? The lure of wealth. And because of that, no fruit is produced. You ever seen that happen before? Oh man, I'd love to be a giver, Pastor. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do this. I'd love to help other people. I'd love to serve. I'd, I'd love to do that. But I just got too much going on today. Hear me today. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Lean in right here. I want to end on this. Never confuse making a living 
with making a life. Never confuse the two. Let me say that again. Never confuse making a living with making a life. What we live for is more important than what we live on. You got that. I like what James Dobson says. It should be on your screen in your notes there. He says, I've concluded that the accumulation of wealth, even if I could achieve it, is just such an insignificant reason for living. When I reach the end of my days, a moment or two from now, I must look back on something more meaningful than the pursuit of houses, lands, stocks, and bonds. I consider my earthly existence to have been wasted, wasted, unless I can recall a loving family. Consistent investment in the lives of people and the earnest attempt to serve God who made me. That's what you call focusing on eternal values. And somewhere along the line, because of the wall, we've missed it. We've lost it. We're chasing the pleasures. We're chasing the possessions. We're going after this stuff. We're building the wall. But we need to refocus on what eternally matters. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Money is to be used, not served. So how do I break this grip? This, this, this grip. How do, I, how do I get out of this trap? This trap of possessions. How do I do that? It's the four R's. I've got to resist comparing. Can't compare to other people. Their lives are different than yours. Their situation is different than yours. Don't compare. Rejoice in what God's given you. Be thankful for what you have now. I used to laugh at my granddad because he talked about the days. Come on, some of you old timers remember this. Talked about the days he had to walk to school three miles, three foot of snow with no shoes. I'm like, brother, your feet look pretty good to me. I don't know. But I grew up with some old timers in my life that taught me to rejoice in what I have. Be thankful for what God has given to you. Return the tithe to God. Let God be first in your life, including in your finances, and refocus on eternal values. That's how you break that grip. You remember last week, we talked about three core truths, and that is I'm going to seek the truth, I'm going to believe the truth, and I'm going to live the truth. It's all based on truth. So where are you at today? Are you building the wall? Are you falling into the trap? You get this right. Satan only has three weapons. That's all he's got. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. He doesn't need another weapon. Because we keep falling for the same ones over and over and over again. You want true freedom in your life? You want to get to the end of your days and have victory instead of defeat? You break the pleasure trap. You break the grip of materialism off your life and say, God, I thank you for what you've given to me. Stand with me all over the house. Father, thank you for the...